Welcome back to Tales from Second Street and Chapter 2 of Camping in the Deep Woods with Norman Bates. This is your host, Doug Scott. We left you last time as Lisa and Jeff were driving from the parking lot of Mama's Restaurant and Gas Station in a southern section of North Carolina on their way to Will's Run Campground. They'd been driving for a long time and were still hours from their destination. Bone tired, they pulled off the highway and stopped at the first place they saw, a gas station with a restaurant attached called Mama's Good Eats. Yummy. They needed gas, but Lisa was starving and decided to take the plunge and get takeout from Mama's. While she was inside perusing the menu, Jeff encountered an ardent Philly Eagles team booster who nearly choked to death at their first meeting. Strange story. The fan's wife would have made a wonderful offensive line person as she chased him away from our couple and now Lisa and Jeff were finally off and on to their destination, Will's Hollow Campground. Let's see what happens. As we were driving, Lisa worked at reconnecting her phone GPS. By this time, we were really wiped, and the thought of pulling into our site at the campground was as delicious as the aroma wafting from that greasy bag of chicken and other potentially delightful comestibles from Mama's. Driving seemed easier now. Well, maybe not easier, maybe just less grueling, probably because we had a bit of R&R back at Mama's. R&R? Well, I don't know. I thought of Harold as near-death experience and his lovely bride Mickey. What a pair. He almost choked to death in his rush to share his diagnosis of the Eagles mechanics this season and no wonder. I can't imagine he had permission to do much sharing with Mickey. During our brief encounter he complained bitterly about the poor protection afforded the quarterback complaining about the D. But I think he really was talking about the O. As a fan I know my place though. I've had enough experience pulling fans apart and statistics debates gone primitive. Also, I didn't know this guy, you know, so I kept a low profile and did my smiling and nodding routine. Wow, see how you drift? I'm supposed to be driving. So as I was wool gathering, Lisa worked on her GPS. The route to our destination was becoming more and more, I guess you might say, woodsy. We traveled about a mile down a pitch black, mostly unpaved road that gradually devolved to tire tracks with healthy growths of tall weeds between. I asked my wife if she was certain we were on the right track. She said, well, hey, the GPS is telling me that we're good. Who am I to argue? Hmm, well, at that point I thought we might be in trouble. I really did. I, I really had my doubts about our directions. Not one single landmark so far. I really thought we had to be nuts to be following these crappy directions. Our situation reminded me of that scene in The Office. Remember The Office? Well, Michael and Dwight were headed somewhere and imbued such a level of trust in their GPS that they blindly followed its directions into a lake. I don't want that to be us. I think by this time, Lisa must be starting to question the accuracy of the direction finder genie as well. She was trying to follow a map of the location, feverishly searching for landmarks. We experienced other complications as reception became intermittent and it would just periodically blink off. The actual map would fade in and out, but when the voice buzzed in, it continued to, <laughs> it continued to assure us that we were on the right track. 
and it was driving us nuts, but we couldn't stop listening to it either. It was, <laughs> I think we, we both had a little bit of crazy in us by then. And eventually, we found ourselves driving on no more than a cow path that abruptly ended in a field in the proverbial go-ahead. You say it. Go on. The middle of... Right. Where? Nowhere. That's right. I stopped the van so we could reconnoiter. A lonely, deserted-looking farmhouse appeared out of the gloom. There it is, Lisa shouted excitedly. Over there. An unresolved complication in our marriage is that when we're driving somewhere and my wife gives directions, she doesn't say right or left. She points. Problematic, especially when it's pitch dark. I tried to see where she was pointing. What? Where? There what is, I demanded. The old house, she panted. I told you we were on target. The manager said there'd be an old house. I was right. She started laughing maniacally like Renfield, the guy who eats flies in one of the old Dracula movies. Remember him? No. She was tired. She sometimes laughs like that when she's tired. She was really working it, though, tonight. Truthfully, she was starting to scare me. I tried to see her in the gloom and was ready to bail if she had actually transformed into the creature I imagined capable of producing the kinds of sounds coming out of her. So now what? I stupidly asked. She was shrieking. Now what? Now what? I don't know what. I don't know. She repeated the old house several times, then reeling herself in and breathing more regularly said, All I know. Now this is what I know. The campground guy said we'd see an old house, then we'd be close. I know, Lisa. Old house, but what the hell does that mean, I moaned. This looks like Norman Bates could live here. Of course, sarcasm wasn't helping. As Lisa managed to develop a semblance of composure, I began to lose mine. She said, I don't know for sure, but I think we're close. I think we're close is all. We have to be, don't you think? She pleaded. In the grand scheme of things, everything's close to something. So, to toss a little oil on these troubled waters, I just nodded. And, as I mentioned, it was pitch black in the van, so she probably couldn't see me nodding. Touché. That'll teach you to point in the dark. I know I'm an asshat, right? Of course. You don't have to say anything. Just nod. I can't see you anyway, okay? Enough with the snark and sarcasm. I'll get on with my tale. By this time, the parting clouds revealed a full moon, all the more striking in the absolute darkness surrounding us. As the moon rose, it seemed to coat the landscape in a cold, silver patina. In normal circumstances, it would have been very lovely, maybe even romantic, but tonight it seemed more like the cold-hearted orb framed by the moody blues. I thought, like this is the stuff that inspires horror movies, you know what I mean. Those scenarios where, despite warnings and with ample opportunity to escape, teenage morons actually open that door and walk down those stairs. Our teen years had long passed, but tonight we were the morons and we were on that road. If I only knew where we were, damn it. I gingerly maneuvered the camper in a tight series of K-turns, lest we disappear in a ditch or sink in the soft soil of the cotton field we had driven into. We have a 20-foot-long van, which that evening felt like a 50-footer. In my near panic and desire to flee, I had neglected to activate the van's rear camera, making backing up a crapshoot. Lisa, 
having regained her composure, calmly reminded me that it might be helpful if we turned it on. Well, I was in a barely controlled panic mode, so I only half heard what she said and naturally assumed the worst. I imagined someone or something was coming after us, so I croaked, what? What? Where? Then practically hysterical, I screamed, oh my God, what is it? The camera, she shrieked, the camera. Turn on the damn camera, you idiot. Not a hallmark moment by any means. How proud she must have been of me, the father of her children. I flipped on the camera and out of the darkness appeared acres upon acres of cotton fields whose white bowls stared out at us like thousands of eyes. Yes, <laughs> I said eyes. Panic and exhaustion with a goodly dose of fear does this to you. Shuddering, I managed to turn the van around and we crawled back down the track we drove in on and eventually onto the road remnant we followed to get here. Lisa looked back and shivered. She told me she had seen a faint light come on in the plainly not abandoned farmhouse. Right up to par, I thought. Maybe the owner needed the light to smarten up his array of sharp tools. As we carefully made our way down the narrow road, a possum decided to cross in front of us. I slammed on the brakes and the creature never missed a beat, continuing his snail's pace to the other side. And when he reached safety, he stopped, turned, sat up, and glared at us indignantly. I said to hell with you too, possum. Still staring at us, I think it smirked as it turned and ambled off into the woods. I heard Lisa moving in her seat. I asked her, are you shaking your head at me? She said, what the? Oh, just shut up and drive, will you? You've lost your frickin' mind. I think she was right. I remembered leaving our friend's house this morning, all bright-eyed and looking forward to our trip. What a difference 12 hours on the road makes. We continued driving down the road, right, that road, and shortly there on the berm was a faded, paint-peeled sign. I thought, oh my God, there it is. I think, I hope, it was. It was Will's Hollow Campground. Victory was ours. Lisa was ecstatic. Whatever had possessed her body earlier had relinquished control. My wife was back. The campground manager provided Lisa a site number. We, in camping, reserve sites, the way normal people reserve rooms or cabins. The directions he gave continued to delight. We drove into the deep murk as dark as a pool of India ink, and here we were yet again, driving down another nondescript trail the second time in the last half hour. Was this to be a hollow victory? As we drove into the pitch blackness of Will's Hollow, we spotted several objects that appeared even darker than their surrounds. The objects turned out to be trailers and campers. There were no lights, no signs, nothing. We saw low posts in front of several campers that had numbers on them. Aha, that must mean we're on the camp road. Yay, I said, now to find our site. It was difficult to see where the road began and ended with the mix of pine needles and sticks and twigs and fallen leaves. Luckily, we had our little high-intensity flashlights that according to the ad that enticed me to buy them were used extensively by the military. Finally, with the help of our military lights, Lisa spotted our site. So, here we were 
All we have to do now is to hook up the electricity, turn on the heat, and eat our delicious smelling mama's chicken in the warmth and security of our little van. Remember I mentioned earlier how easy it was to set up the camper? Well, maybe. We managed to find the post with the electrical outlet. When hooking up to campground electricity, what's known as onshore power, it's strongly suggested that the safest approach is to hook up to the van first, then to the campground supply. Easy peasy. I pulled out the power cord and dragged it over to the source. Almost home. Wait. The campground had 50 amp service. What? I looked at our cord. We had a 30 amp cord. This was simply unbelievable. The camping gods were toying with us. I hope they enjoyed their little sadistic soiree watching two starving, exhausted, marginally hysterical humans of the idiot class scurrying around in the leaves, snapping at each other like rabid bats. Before this experience, I actually had faith in the malevolence of at least a few of the gods. Well, no more. No more bingo. No more tithing. In fact, I want my money back. Lisa and I were hunkered down by the electrical box with power cord in hand, shining the flashlight here, there, and everywhere. I asked her to direct the light down on the power box, but for some reason, she insisted on shining it on the top of the post. I should also mention that one of the features of our flashlight is a strobe setting that causes a super bright beam to pulse rapidly. This is designed to disorient and disable would-be attackers. Guess what? It works! She effectively disoriented and disabled me. Turn off the damn strobe and shine the damn light on the damn power box, for Pete's sake, I hissed. I am! I am, she snapped. Chill out, Jeff, you idiot! Then she demanded, here, here, let me have that freaking cord. I'll try to connect it myself. We both knew it wouldn't work. Yet we persisted. We were in denial, you know, like not the river. I snatched the flashlight from her, exchanging it for the cord. I redirected the beam of light away from the toolbox and inexplicably pointed it at the top of the utility post. My wife disgustedly snarled, shine that frickin' light where I might be able to see something, you twit. You can really picture this, can't you? Of course you can, especially if you camp. You also know if you camp or not that all this searching and shining and hissing wasn't going to do jack. You either have the correct outlet connection or you don't. Am I right or am I right? Yeah, you're darn right I'm right. I'm also a twit. I know this already, okay? The reality that came into focus in the cold, pitch black night at Will's Hollow was that this night there would be no light, no heat. Death. Where is thy sting? At that point, I looked down at Lisa and said, to hell with this, we're going to a motel. She patiently asked, do you know where we are? I replied, in the same bad dream? She said, we've been driving since nine o'clock this morning. Now it's almost tomorrow. We have no idea where we are and what we've seen of the local roads ain't promising. Where are we going, genius? She shined the light on the door of our little camper. We're both exhausted, and we're both hungry as bears. We're staying here, no matter what. We looked at each other in the romantic glow of the flashlight, surveyed our surroundings, thought about the Bates estate down the road, shuddered, then rolled up the electric cord, kicked off most of the pine needles and leaves stuck to our sneaks, and accepting defeat, 
trundled into our camper. Before we settled in for the night, we locked up and drew the curtains. We were in the dark woods somewhere in what turns out to be a portable panic room. We had some sense of security, albeit disquiet in the unknowing of what was out there. Part of us awaited the inevitable tap, 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 or scritch on the window. Maybe even a visit from the guy with the hook, remember him? He's the legendary killer who was discovered hiding in the back of a woman's car by a kindly truck driver. Over the top? Not really, because I was that truck driver. Nah, I'm just messing with you. Anyway, feeling a little less vulnerable in our portable lockbox, we changed into sweats, set up our bed, and brought out the delicious-smelling cuisine Lisa picked up at Mama's. Oh my God, was it good. Besides the flashlight, we had another little battery-operated lantern that looks like an old, kind of like, kerosene lamp. It emits a pleasant, soft glow that seemed to bathe our little space in warmth. Maybe it was the light, or the sweats, or the exhaustion. Ah, my God, what was that? I'll never know, but it was nice. We ate by battery light, clad in sweatpants and shirts as we sat on the edge of our bed. We were ravenous. We attacked our chicken and hush puppies and salad and coleslaw with gusto. You know that coleslaw that they make in the South? You know, they put a bit of horseradish in it. Oh my goodness gracious, that's delicious. The chicken actually tasted even better than it smelled. Harold was right. Props to Mama. As we relaxed and filled our bellies, we laughed at the ridiculous situation we literally drove into, especially our crazy snipe attacks. Lisa was positively joyful. Her mood washed over me. The hysteria and foreboding of earlier dissipated. We settled into bed after our feast, turned off our lantern, and surprisingly fell into a sound and restful sleep. No monsters, no bears, no murderers with hooks. Nothing. Just a sound and restful sleep. In the words of Scarlett O'Hara, After all, tomorrow is another day. Lisa and Jeff struggled with issues often encountered by newbie campers. Locating the elusive campground in rural America is not the same as finding your motel on the interstate. You know, the one with the big sign, and when you get there, there's plenty of hot water, a pool, and sometimes a continental breakfast. Hmm, <laughs> wonderful. Camping's different. If you roll in at 2 o'clock in the morning, it can be dicey, especially if you're new to the game, as in Lisa and Jeff. There's an allure to camping, however, a connection with nature absent in the motel scene. But you better be ready for the experience. At least have a general idea of how to hook up the electricity. If you enjoyed listening, drop us a note on our website, talesfromsecondstreet.buzzsprout.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Tales from Second Street. Until next time, this is Doug Scott. Take care of yourselves.